Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy. We are days away from Therapy Reimagined 2020. Hi. Last week, we talked about my topic that's coming up for the Therapy Reimagined Virtual Conference this week, we're going to dive into Katie's talk and give you a little bit of a preview of what she's bringing out. There is still time to get your tickets for the live event. Go to therapyreimaginedconference.com to get those. And in the meantime, listen to Katie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thank you. So where we ended last week was kind of interesting because it does lead into what we're talking about today and what I'll be talking about in the conference, which is the case for self-care. I think my talk is called Showing Up, the therapist effects on clinical outcomes or something like that. And it's really making the case for continuing education and in your plea last week, also ethical codes that talk about how therapists take care of themselves, how they pay attention to themselves, because I think oftentimes in an effort to protect clients or consumers, we are listening to consumer protection bodies and not necessarily to the research. And so when we look at, and I don't know if, if you, because you've done a lot of RCE stuff, if you have the specific language, but I've been told repeatedly, self-care talks are not CE worthy. You should not talk about self-care. It has to be client-facing. And I get that. Like, if we just use our continued education to get massages, like, yes, that is BS. Like, we shouldn't be doing that, even though I think that potentially there's an argument for massages as a business expense. But that is a whole other conversation. Right. Um, but it's not continued education, though, right? Like, I do believe that the continued education should make us better therapists and better able to show up for our clients. However, I think there are some theoretical problems with how that is currently viewed by our consumer protection bodies and CE bodies because of the medical model. Because the medical model says that we are, you know, I think we, in Harry's conversation on the podcast, talked about the kind of surgeons performing interventions, those types of things. It's very focused on what we do to clients and not how we are with clients and who we are when we're with our clients. My understanding from the, the governing bodies of continuing education on that point is the specificity of where continuing education needs to be is, needs to have demonstrable effects on client outcomes. And that if we focus too much on, you know, clinicians taking care of themselves, going to the spa, this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. 
I've been around enough CE things that I see where that particular area is rife for abuse. But it does ignore what we've talked about here on the podcast as far as showing up for your clients. Weird how that's the name of your conversation. <laughs> well, I, I named it that because I believe that that is our goal is to show up well for our clients. I think oftentimes, and I talk about this with sacrificial helping or in all the self-care stuff that I talk about and the burnout stuff that I do, is that we want to help people. We want to give of ourselves. And so I want to honor that. That's where we're starting from. But when we sacrifice ourselves in that effort, we actually are not showing up as well as we could. You know, and so I think when our protection body says focus on the client, when our instincts and our desires say focus on the client, I think we do need, and I, so I agree with your last point from last week about ethics, I do think we need to have some sort of guidance saying there needs to be a focus on the clinician to the betterment of the profession and the work. Because if we just said clinicians just have to have a great life, like, sure, I think we do, but I don't think that that's what our consumer protection bodies are going to necessarily go for. And many consumer protection bodies are going to say that's their responsibilities to protect the consumers. And you as therapists are out there. You're not consumers until you, you know, you're going to get your own therapy or whatever, but that their job is to protect the consumer and to over-regulate therapists in, you know, whatever it is that they do, especially on kind of the personal end of things, is potentially not their lane. I think that some of the, the regulations or the ethical codes do speak to kind of the, the, the idea I'm thinking of is kind of broken tools, right? Like if you are truly incompetent and you're doing things that are truly harmful to clients, they are going to regulate that. But as far as seeking excellence and having clinicians be and I hate to call clinician tools, that just sounds bad, but having clinicians be as strong in giving the work, giving the, the, the clinical guidance and the, the support to our clients as we can, there's no, they're silent on that part. And I think that does actually impact consumers quite a lot. In fact, when we look at kind of the medical model, which is where a lot of, a lot of the research has been in the past and where we get the idea that the specific type of treatment that we do makes a difference. There is kind of a mechanism in which we test it that really suggests that if we do it, if, if every clinician is all the same and we do this type of treatment all the same, then we will get a consistent result. And that's not what the, the research has shown. And not even when they try to deconstruct a certain methodology, they take out a piece of a clinical orientation or treatment modality, do they get different things? So like, even if you take out part of CBT and you give CBT, you can't tell the difference in the results. So even adherence is not showing up on a regular basis as saying like, hey, the treatment we provide, if we just look at the, the treatment model, actually makes a difference. And so in regulating that, and not how we show up as clinicians on a more positive way, <laughs> allowing us for our own development in a way that actually supports us as individuals, I think it misses the mark. It sounds like what you're speaking to is aiming models and aiming ethics. What we talked about last week is towards the least common denominator of our profession. And I've heard this in discussions from 
licensing board language of that licenses serve as the minimally acceptable amount of competence that a clinician can have to practice independently. But you're speaking beyond minimal competence and into the expertise. You're right. I think that this is, again, kind of we're looking at an aspirational, how do we make clinicians better versus how do we regulate against the least common denominator? I think it just is too simplistic to talk about just treatment being provided versus how clinicians show up. And I, I, I don't know that I can explain it better than that, but I do think that when we look at the differences between humans providing treatment and knowing that there's differences in clinicians versus some sort of computer or surgeon doing some sort of a, a consistent mechanism of treatment, I think we, we lose some translation if we don't in some way address the individual in the room. Partially in what I'm kind of going in my imagination to on this is if our jobs ever get replaced by AI and by computers, for, and I, I choose the word jobs here very specifically, mm -hmm. then it makes what we're doing jobs. It, it yeah. doesn't have that professional aspect to it. And it's that professionality that emphasizes that we should be doing the best that we can, that we should be aiming beyond the minimal acceptable competence, that we should be more than just kind of coming in and punching the time clock and working the day. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think it, it's seen, and I, I don't remember which uh, article this was from, but for folks who see therapy as an art versus just a science, they're actually better. They're seen by their clients as being better clinicians. I think it's a perfect, I'll find the article and I'll put it in the show notes along with the other stuff I'll be talking about today. But when we look at it as an art and a relationship, or as, as Dr. Harry Ponte talks about, an experience, I think that there are hints and even specific bold signs on how we actually need to make sure that we're showing up. And there's actually data that supports that taking care of clinicians makes a lot of sense for the efficacy of the work. In a uh, Bruce Wampold's work, and he did a couple of things in 2015. There's an article that I'll link to in the show notes as well as the book, The, the Great Psychotherapy Debate. He actually takes up the argument and, and pits the medical model against this model that really focuses on what are called nonspecific effects. So these are potentially therapist effects. They are potentially things that are difference, differences about clients, things that are happening in the relationship that are separate from or kind of happening at the same time as any specific treatment that someone is providing. So for example, you as a clinician, your client as a, cl as a client, the relationship between the two of you while you're performing the specific treatment of EMDR. So it's mm -hmm. only looking at you, your client, and the relationship. And that could happen across any of the, the modalities, and so they're called common factors. And, and he actually further defined it and called it the contextual model. So it's, it's looking at the context within which you're doing a specific type of treatment. And so when he was looking at that and, and doing, there's a lot of, so there's a lot of meta-analysis that goes into it, and he, he makes a very long defense for why that's the best way to do this. But in looking at that and, and really identifying what makes a difference, the, the contextual model says that 
there's the initial relationship, the, the bond that's developed, and that's required. So you can't go beyond that. So you have to create a bond before therapy can really start. And then you start developing the real relationship over time. And that's the first pathway to therapeutic change. Then, it, then there's kind of the expectations that the, cl- the client has. And this is where you get into, you know, the therapeutic alliance and, and the agreements on what therapy is. And then beyond that, so the third pathway to success is, are these the specific ingredients, which is the type of treatment like EMDR. And so when we're looking at that, the relationship or the initial bond, I guess, the initial therapeutic relationship, the real relationship, and then the expectations that are set within that relationship, all are about everything but what actual treatment you're providing, which so much of, I think, our continuing education is, here is how we do this modality. Now, not our conference, so please come, and we're going to talk about all these other things. But, but even when, he, when Wampold talks about specific ingredients, he's, not, he's talking about it's not even how adherent you are to them or how, how well it's aligned to a specific diagnosis. It's that, that there are specific ingredients, that the client understands them and agrees that that's the best modality for treatment. So it's all very relational. It's all based on the conversations that you have with your client to talk about why are we doing this? How am I showing up? Do you agree with this? And we're, we're on the same page. And so it's, it's about being in relationship to cause clients to do things that improve their health and well-being. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate upfront. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. I mean, I'm a huge Wampold fan and, you know, for longtime listeners of the podcast know that, hey, this all tends to make sense based on the broader context of the conversations that Katie and I have that, all right, you as a human impact therapy and you can be better at being a human that shows up for therapy is where I assume that you're going with this. Yes, yes. So... Part of this then seems to be how do we practice at being better humans? Well, I think the first thing that I really come to is that we actually have to have lives outside of our work. Because if we are just therapists sitting in rooms talking to clients all the time or on screens or walking and talking or in somebody's home, whatever it is, if we are just spending so many hours of our week so many weeks of our year 
so many years of our lives just being therapists without living our lives, I think it's very hard to show up as a human being in the room. You're experiencing the world vicariously. And I know for myself, I did a little bit of that at the beginning of the pandemic. I was hearing news from clients versus being out exploring the news myself, like doing stuff. Like, yeah, I got some news, but it was all based on whichever client came into my, my mm-hmm. you know, simple practice treatment office, video office during the day. I mean, like there, was, there were literally times when some, a client was informing me of some, some atrocity that had occurred and I'm responding in real time. That was not my best moment. And I, I, I honored that. Like I needed to take some more time to myself so that I could actually have my own understanding of what was happening, that I could be living life in the way that humans are living life right now so that I had a frame of reference. And so part of being a better human is having space to be a human and not just button seat hours. As you're describing it, it's having, again, the word context. I, I can't really think of a better word here, but it's having the context to be able to demonstrate vulnerability. It's sure. being able to model for clients, being able to show them that, and one of the, you know, things that I'm, I'm coming up against, you know, Harry talks about it being a, like a surgeon, but even before Harry was around, Gabrielle Marcel was talking about that if we remove all of the humanity out of therapy, therapists are no better than being a pen, that it's just, <laughs> you know, kind of talking in the context of, you know, it's just, if you're there, if you don't have any of this kind of stuff, you know, even in the, the nature of the, the pandemic, it's the clients wanting to know how you're responding to the world. Yeah. Permission themselves to be able to respond to the world. Yeah. And so I think, you know, I, I mean, we wouldn't be together this long in our ventures if we didn't agree on this stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> So you agree. (laughs) Well, and I think the other thing, and this speaks more to probably what I'm going to be addressing in the the talk at the conference is that we also need to make sure that we're showing up professionally in a, in a revitalized resourced way. And I think oftentimes and we, and we've talked about this a number of times. We can link to some of those uh, episodes in the show notes. But like burnout becomes a big, a big risk for us and our careers. And like, oh, that's going to hurt the therapist. And oh, no, that's going to be a problem. But when we look at a study as recently, there was a, another meta-analysis by Zimmerman and some colleagues in 2016. And I'll put that in the show notes. And there was a lot of different studies that they cited. So I can't list all of those. But when we look at outcomes on that that are really negative. So if we look at dropping out of treatment, not getting good therapeutic results in treatment, if I am going to read these things and and just start thinking in your mind, how many of these are present when you're burned out? So we've got lack of empathy, yep. negative countertransference, totally, overuse of transference interpretations, yep, disagreement with the therapist or the client about the therapy process. So between the therapist and the client, you're disagreeing what should be happening in therapy. Sure. So all of those, to me, like it's like, oh, okay, well, we can look at those in isolation. Those are things that are just bad. Don't do them. But 
I know when I'm most burned out, I don't like people. And I see everything that they do as negatively impacting me. I see them as defensive. It's their problem, not mine. Like if we look at this, if we aren't actually able to keep ourselves from burnout and not just manage it, but keep ourselves from burnout, our clients are going to drop out of treatment. Which reflects poorly on us as individual practitioners. Mm -hmm. It reflects poorly on psychotherapy as a fields. Yeah. That, you know, hey, in this Yahoo over here, I went to a couple of sessions. They didn't respond well to me. All therapy is a joke. Yes. Yeah. And so I think it's super important for us to be able to do that. Um, there's also a, a study that by Landrum, Knight and Flynn from 2012 that, that says if we're burned out, you know, organizational stress and burnout, if we're burned out, our clients are not going to engage. So even if they don't drop out, if they're not engaged, and they don't really see it as that valuable, they're not going to be, well, certainly on the business side, they're not going to be referring their friends, but they're also going to have like what you just said, they're going to have this negative perception of therapy, even if it's just that they're kind of meh on it. Mm -hmm. So another element that I think is really important and the question that you asked, how do we show up as better humans? The, the question I think really also goes to how do we have better relationships? Because I think in, our human life, I think we all are, we're a socialized society. We want social interactions. We want social connections and people do it differently. So I'm not saying there's a right way to do it, but when we look at, and, and we've cited this, this study before, but um, Betty and Duff from 2014, they talk about what's most important for clients as far as a therapeutic alliance. And we talked about this on a previous episode. I'll, I'll leave it there that you can, we'll check that out in the show notes, but but so many of the things that it talks about, therapist honesty, making eye contact, the body language that we have, clients feeling heard and respected, validating the client's experience, showing good boundaries, these are also the things that I think get very harmed when therapists are burned out and they're not, and we're not trained on how to set up our schedules. We're not trained on how to make sure that our environments are conducive for our work. We're not trained on how best to optimize our mental performance because this is deep mental work that we're doing as clinicians. I think it's that we are in such a rush to get to the doing of therapy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, Katie and I crap on graduate education and... <laughs> Continuing education, you know, pretty frequently here, but we're in such a rush to get to the specifics of techniques within our, our major study of field that we often take, that we often fail to incorporate the other general knowledge that comes from human behavioral health. You know, uh, you know, we pull from flow psychology in, in our, um, you know, Optimal, systems of self-care in our yeah. systems of self-care talk and you know the, that's not necessarily something that's specifically taught as a therapeutic technique but very much from the field of positive psychology that depending on the nature of the people choosing the curriculum ends up getting pushed to the side and underemphasized when it's something that could benefit us now what you are speaking to though is it takes an incredible amount of resources time money Otherwise, the effort that goes into putting yourself into this place in order to be able to do it. What do you mean? That 
if a graduate program is 60 units, 70 units, 80 units long, and, sure. you know, paging Dr. Caldwell and saving psychotherapy <laughs> here, that there's no evidence that longer graduate programs actually turn out better therapists, but you have this really confined amount of classroom time mm -hmm. to cover what is an ever-expanding list of things that we quote-unquote all therapists should know that limits what can be presented and those things that do take those time and effort resources end up kind of getting pushed to the wayside in order to fit in all the other stuff. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. I think that speaks again to our licensing boards and our consumer protection bodies. I think the things that are chosen to be put into those curriculums are based on the medical model. And so you have to learn all of these theories regardless of whether or not they're relevant and, and, and whether or not they make a difference. There's a, a requirement to learn about specific populations, which I think can be very helpful, but oftentimes they're, they're reduction, reductionistic and they don't actually give you enough information except to know that what you don't know, which has a benefit. I agree that, that, that that's important, but I also think that, you know, a checkbox of I've learned about X means that I now know how to serve those clients is also problematic. And so, yes, there's not a lot of time in our grad programs and we've already put way too many units in them, but we're just adding and shifting. We're not actually reimagining <laughs> education to say what do people actually need to be good therapists like what needs to happen for someone to do really good therapeutic work with their clients because at this point and, and this is in 2015 and i think initially it was in 2001 wampold was saying the research is showing that the medical model is disintegrating mm-hmm so to continue to design education based on a model that is disintegrating, that uh, the medical model actually, at least according to Wampold's impression of it in the 2015 book I'm re referencing, is that cultural factors are irrelevant. If a treatment model is done properly, it goes beyond that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's ridiculous. That is completely ridiculous. So within this, uh, I came across this article from Ariel Nobel and Rosemary Risk, and it's called, It's Led Me Astray, How Cognitive Behavioral Therapists Experience Personal Therapy in Clinical Practice. Now, this is a really small study. This is seven very hardcore CBT therapists who are exposed to personal therapy. And this article goes on and explains that a lot of therapists love getting psychotherapy. They feel that it adds to themselves mm -hmm. as a person and as a professional practitioner. However, all seven of these therapists that were studied after going through a number of personal psychotherapy sessions from a non-CBT model ended up reporting that 
having more self-awareness impacted their work of being able to do CBT. (laughs) In other words, it's so much removing the humanity out of this that that makes it to where the model ends up having to work. Now, I have to guess that there's a lot of us who do CBT, and then there's those who do CBT. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and this is maybe potentially studying those more out in the in the, the latter group there. But but I think in really having kind of that separation from stuff makes therapy feel cold. And I think yeah. you know, in, in a lot of the research that you're citing here, I don't. It backs it up. Yeah, for sure. And I think I think when we look at that, I think that. It is so much easier, and I feel like I'm, I'm on repeat here from a lot of the things we've already said, but there is so much that suggests studying things within a medical model is easier, it's cleaner, but it truly does take out the humanity, and I think we can't, we can't remove humanity from the therapeutic process. Like, it's just impossible. And for, when I look at kind of the, the differences that are seen that the contextual model says are therapist effects. And when I, when the medical model is just like, oh, well, the clinician wasn't competent enough or they weren't compliant enough or they weren't adherent enough. Even if that's true, those are therapist effects too. Right. (laughs) And so we can't get that clean ivory tower. Everybody does the treatment exactly the same unless we go to this idea that we were kind of you know, speaking about earlier is this AI doing these interventions. And I guess maybe that's the study is that you have AIs doing some sort of adherent model or not adherent or all those things that you take out the humanity completely and see if there are actual differences. But that's only relevant if we have no differences between therapists, if, if what we bring into the room as individual human beings makes no difference, and that seems, I'm going to say like the, the word again, ridiculous. It seems like the matrix. Like you yes. just need to grow these little human pods that you, you keep locked away somewhere Yeah, and turn them out to be the therapists of the future. Yes. And so to, to kind of speak to how, how, I view the world as well as what I'm going to be talking about at the conference later this week. Who we are makes a difference. What we do in the room makes a difference, not necessarily the, the interventions that we apply, but how we show up. And when we think about how to show up and, and do the best work that we can, we have to include these ideas of structuring our work, and taking care of ourselves. And those are things that are really not taught. And oftentimes those things are frowned upon by continuing education bodies. But don't worry, I did take care of it. I, I got it covered. So we're going to have that for CE. But just knowing that I think this is an area that we push back, whether it's like Kurt was talking about last week, putting something in our ethical codes, or if it's really making lots of appeals to our continuing education bodies saying, we need to know how to be therapists. We need to know how to set up our practices so that we can show up for our clients. And that includes 
self-care business practices. It includes making time for ourselves so that we have the mental bandwidth to be able to be focused on our clients. Because if we are just seen as robots doing interventions and that's all that needs to be regulated are the interventions that we do, it's really short-sighted and it harms our clients. You can still get your tickets with us. You can get those at therapyreimaginedconference.com. Coming up this Thursday, Friday, Saturday, wherever you are in the world, it's available to you. <laughs> we have a really uh, cool app. It's so cool. You get to sign in and meet all of your friends. It's going to be great. We are really trying to make this as much of a virtual conference experience that's as close as we can make it to a in-person conference experience. Lots of between-session networking time, a ability to connect with everybody else. And, you know, I'm, I'm missing going out to conferences yeah, and some of the too. social aspect and really trying to make sure that this doesn't just feel like you're sitting and doing webinars, like maybe some of the other conferences are doing. And <laughs> so we would love to have you join us. We have people from all over the country, all over the world yeah. and look forward to having you. So thank you for being a modern therapist. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Renoy. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code modern gets you two free months.